Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. What a Sunday, right? <laughs> God bless what God is doing right now. Um, it's a pleasure to be with you guys. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Paul. I'm the youth and young adults pastor here at the Plant Church. And so it's a blessing to be here to be able to share uh, what I guess would be now a quick word with all of you. And so um, as we've been just going through this unshakable series, I was just really challenged uh, with the passage that uh, both Pastor Andrew and Pastor Rob just dropped on me. Um, I feel like they dropped this passage just because it was like, oh, this is the hard one. So we'll just leave that to the youth guy to maybe crumble, burn, and fall with this one, right? Uh, but as I really wrestled with this text, I was really challenged by what the word was speaking. And it just reminded me of a time um, before coming to the plant, I was serving as the youth, past, youth and education pastor at a Korean church down in Little Ferry on the south side of Bergen. And in, in the Korean church, uh, youth, uh, youth group members or youth students, junior high and senior high, don't actually sit in with the parents. We actually run our own separate service. And so I have youth kids up, on, uh, up here on stage doing what Lindsay and Tim and, and, and everybody else. Like you got a whole full band going on. And so our service would start at around roughly around like 930 and so I would, these kids would have to come by 8, uh, 8.30 to, you know, do rehearsal and everything. And so a lot of parents uh, didn't want to come to church that early. And so what they would ask is, Pastor Paul, can you come pick me up? And so what I would have to do is I go to church, 7.30, we have leadership call, and then we would do a time of quick prayer. And then I would leave the church and kind of time the route to pick up everybody so we could get back by 8.30. Uh, what I realized is that there was a, they, they all lived fairly close to each other. And so there was always a little pocket, about 30 minutes, um, where I just had a little bit of free time. And so what I would often do uh, before I went to go pick up the kids is there's a Starbucks, like uh, a little bit down the street from where my old church was. So I would go there and I'd be like, this is my time with God. You know, get my heart a little bit ready, get a little devotion time with Jesus, just to like really get my heart at peace before I get on, get into service, talk to the kids and preach the word. And it was just like any other Sunday and I'm, I'm going into this, I'm going to the Starbucks and this guy suddenly jumps in my way, right? Out of the blue and he's like, yo man, hey, listen, I'm struggling. Uh, can you get me something? Do you got some money? Because I haven't eaten in a while. And now, I'm just like, yo, bro, like, you're invading my uh, Jesus time. So, listen, like, I'm going to have to ask you to pass. Like, uh, like, but I was like, nah, that's not the right thing. Right? So, I was like, yeah, 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 I got you. Why don't you just stick around here? Now, I was like, uh, like Andrew was saying earlier, I was a little, <laughs> little bit cynic there. So, I was like, is this guy really, like, is he really hungry? Right? So I waited, right? I, I went to Starbucks and I waited to see if he'd hang around and he disappeared, right? So I was like, see, I knew it, right? Ah, shame on him, trying to, trying to take my money like that, right? So I sat down, I started doing like a little Jesus time. It felt good. And then I was like, all right, 
it's time to pick up the kids. It was going to be a little tight. It was a good time with Jesus. Went a pushed it in a little bit, and I was like, it's time to go. I walk out of Starbucks without, and as soon as I walk out that door, what I realized was that dude was, was still sitting there. He was still sitting there. It was just inside the, the, the view of Starbucks. He was just outside my, my sight. And I'm like, ah, oh, crap, Jesus. Okay, maybe I just didn't see him. <laughs> and I comp- but I'm like, God, I got, I'm on time. Like, I need to go grab these kids and make it to church. And so I, I just like, it's cool. You know what? Like, there's new days, new mercies, new grace, right? And, I, and I'm going to milk God's grace right now. And I, and I just run by this guy. I run to my car, and I proceed to, like, go pick up the kids. Yet, as I'm driving, the farther I drive away from this man, the heavier my heart would get. And I'm like, oh, no, God, you, please do not do this to me. We just had a good morning. Please do not do this to me. And so I proceeded to just uh, kind of compromise with God. Listen, God, let me go pick up these kids first, and I'm going to rush back, and the man is still there. I will get him something to eat. And so I proceeded to, to, to fly to Palisades Park, pick up all these kids, about four kids, and granted, like, normally when these kids are in my car, I'm, I'm very, like, safe with them, making sure that all, I'm following all the rules, speed limits, all that good jazz, but that day, I'm like, yo, God, like, I got to, I'm going to push it a little bit. And so I'm rushing back to this Starbucks, hoping, hoping that he's still there. And when I got back, he was gone. Let me tell you, if that guy had, from Asbury, had a really crappy sermon that day, that day I felt like my heart was just in the wrongest of places. That no matter what word I preached, I wasn't living out whatever I had prepared that moment. Right, and so oftentimes in our lives, as we wrestle with these things, I began, to, I, as I was just preparing this message and wrestling with the text, I was reminded of a story because I just felt like in my heart that how often is it that what we do that might be good is done out of the abundance of our capacities? Like, I do good when I am available. When God is convenient for me. And so I'm looking at this text and what I began to be challenged is this question of wondering why. Why do I do what I do? And I want to ask you church here today, why do you do what you do? Ryan, why do you do your job? Andrew, why do you do what you do as a father? And for all of us, why is it that you do what you do as a friend, as a son or daughter, as a mother or father, as a neighbor or even stranger, even as a Christian? Why do you do what you do? And so we're going to look at today's text here today. And we're going to tackle the story that Jesus has this encounter with this rich young ruler. And so if you guys have your Bibles, can you open up to Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. 
And I'm going to just read this for us. Uh, you guys can follow along with me as I read this aloud. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17, the word of God says this. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone, but honor your father and mother. The man replies, teacher, I have obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. And so he tells them, there is still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And this amazed them. But Jesus proceeded to say again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. And Jesus looks at them intently and says, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But not with God, for everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house, brothers or sisters, mother or father, children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, the person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. And all God's people said, amen. Let me just pray a quick prayer. Jesus, as we just tackle uh, this passage, Lord, I just pray for a fresh anointing just fall upon your people. That they will feel the weight of your glory just coming and resting on their shoulders. But Lord, I also ask for a lifting, a lifting of their souls, a lifting of their spirits to receive the word that you have prepared for us today. So, Lord, would you just come? Come what you do best and come and have your way in us. We invite you to what you're doing right now. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. So we have this text. We have this encounter where Jesus is met with this rich, young ruler. This man comes running, searching, searching. And it's kind of like what we all do, right? We're all here for some reason, that you're maybe here looking for something, searching for an answer, searching for purpose, maybe searching for security, success, some satisfaction. We're in this life all constantly searching like this man. And this man comes running up to him and he kneels down. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? See, with this young, young rich ruler, we have to take precedent to, of who he is, right? This man, 
is wealthy. He is wealthy and he's well achieved too. When we look at the text, it shares with us that when Jesus responds, you need to do all these things. And he says, I have kept and done all these things. I have done it all. And yet the precedent of what he is approaching towards is that he's got it all. He's done it all. He's got it. And I imagine when Jesus sees this man, he's like, oh, you're so close. You're so close. You do. You have the influence. You have the power. And see, with this young rich ruler, what we have to understand is that the text responds to us that saying, identifying this man as a ruler. So he is not wealthy just by inheritance, but to be a ruler in the synagogue, he had to also work hard to establish who he was. And so this man is not only wealthy, he has power, but he also has influence. And he's a good person. He's the full package. And he's got it all. And he goes before Jesus, and Jesus asks this question. He says, so why do you call me good? And it's his response to understand that when what Jesus' status was that he was a rabbi, he was a teacher. You see, in, in Jewish culture, rabbi was already one of the highest of esteems of status. But unlike our, our English language, the word good was not tossed around. In fact, good was only set forth as an adjective to describe God. Only God is good. And so when this young rich ruler comes before Jesus and says, good teacher, he's not only acknowledging who Jesus is in the realm of man, but he's also identifying and acknowledging who he is in the beyond, in the realm of heaven. That Jesus, I acknowledge that you are God. And so this guy is coming. He knows that I'm coming before Jesus. And he asks this question, this one question that, that perhaps challenges all of us that where we might be also missing the mark. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the issue with this question is that it is centered around what I am able to accomplish. What can I do? I've done everything else. What more can I do? And the truth and reality is, my brothers and sisters, my friends, do we not come searching for that similar answer? God, what more can I do? Without realizing there is nothing you can do. See, no amount of your goodness can obtain your salvation. Scripture reminds us that for the wages of sin is death. And so the only way to compensate with our sins that we're born into in our, nat in our, in our nature is death. And so what amount of good can we do to compensate for that? Nothing. Nothing. I had this hard conversation with my college students uh, during one of our Wednesday small groups where I had to just let them know, hey, listen, the truth is 
you're not good people. Friends, I love you. But the truth is, you're not good people. I'm not a good person either. Because the scripture reminds us, listen, you hate somebody, you've already committed murder. If you look at someone lustfully, you've already committed adultery. And even if you look at someone's possessions enviously, you've already coveted it. And, and it's the idea that our actions do not always have to happen for us for the sin to already take its roots into our very nature. But the truth is that yet we still come before church in, in search of something. Saying, God, what must I do? What can I accomplish? And I imagine for all of us that we try to compensate all of this through maybe some good actions to maybe help me feel good about myself. And we look at this young rich ruler who might be better than all of us in terms of these standards. Because he's done it all. He says, teacher, I have obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And so Jesus looks at this man. And I imagine that Jesus looking at him is like, man, you're right. You did. You're on the right track. You're so close. And he looks at this man and he says, there's just one thing. One thing. I want you to sell everything you have. Ryan, I want you to sell everything that you have including that new house you're building. That's what Jesus is doing. Listen, I don't know for the rest of you all what you might be trying to build up. Maybe it might be your status. Maybe it might be pushing towards your success. Maybe you've already gotten there. Maybe it's something a little more to satisfy yourself. Or maybe you're looking for safety and security that lets you just sit in and just be like, Everything's going to be okay. And here you have Jesus saying, give that up. Johnny, what is it that you need to give up? It's a lot. Jack, what do you need to give up? And, and, the, and the truth is, is that for all of us, we all have that something. And, I'm at, and what I came to a conclusion is that something can sum, be summarized into two words. But God. What is your but God? Is it your family? Is it maybe an obsession? Maybe one, it's one of your passions. I was wrestling with this because one of my passions is to play soccer. And I'm constantly wrestling, well, God, but God, like, I mean, like, I do ministry through that. I evangelize to so many of these soccer players. But it's, this, it, but it's this obsession where I'm constantly torn between what God is calling me to do versus what I want to do. And I'm constantly asking, but God, can't we, you know, negotiate, compensate? Let's make a deal. And imagine for this young rich ruler, he's coming here to do the same too with Jesus. He said, God, 
I got the influence, I got the power, and I got the wealth, I got the status. What's the one thing I need? And so many times we do this in our lives where we are siloing off different sections of our lives as if we're like cats. Do you have multiple lives? Going around saying, oh, I just need to add to my spiritual life now. My work life is good. My family life is good. All I need is just my church life to be good. My spiritual life to be good. And Jesus is looking at this because we're trying to balance all these multiple lives like we're cats. And Jesus is saying, I don't care about your balance. All I care about is discipleship. All I care is about seeing my people come back home. All I care is about seeing, like Andrew was saying, healing. All I care about is seeing forgiveness. All I care about is seeing my kingdom come. And so Jesus says, go sell all your possessions. Give your money to the poor for your treasures will come in heaven. Then you can come and follow. This man looks at this and he's, it says he walks, his face fell and he walked away sad. And while we see the description of this man, I imagine looking at Jesus and Jesus, as he sees this child walk away, he just, he's heartbroken. God, he was so close. He was so, so close. He was right there and he, because of that one but God, he missed it. He was physically right there in front of Jesus, and he still missed it. Who's right there? And I imagine Jesus having to take a moment to grieve there as well. Imagine that single tear just falling down his face. So heartbroken seeing that man walk away. And he recollects himself and looks to the disciples and he turns and says, Children, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven? How hard is it for us here in in the Western church? to wrestle that very text. That he would even describe that, dear children, it is so hard that it's actually easier for Jesus to take a camel and try to shove that through the eye of a needle than for the wealthy to get in the kingdom of God. And so the disciples are astounded by this and say, Jesus, then who could possibly in this world be saved? And he says, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And I wrestle with this text and I'm like, God, where's the hope in this? The church in America, Jesus, we're screwed. We love our rights, we love our money, we love our security. We love our social security. Because we always want something to what? To lean back on. In case this whole Jesus thing doesn't work. And I imagine that 
The abundance of the good that we do, it may not be done out of the abundance of God, but simply the abundance of what we have. See, Romans 2 tells us this, that the kindness and goodness of God, Paul tells us to the church in Rome, that the kindness and goodness of God should lead you to repentance. Repentance. See, that word repentance is not just saying sorry. But that word repentance is looking at your old life and saying, this is not what I want anymore. And turning your back to it, it is a metanoia, it is a transformational change that leads you away from your life of old. And Jesus is saying, does my goodness that very thing that all of us, we be praying for, whether it's healing. God, would you bless me? Would you bless them? Would you bless us? Is the goodness of God leading you to repentance today? And so I'm challenged by this passage, and I'm wondering, God, where, is, where are you leading with all of this? And you find this story also reiterated in the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 18, where Luke also shares this encounter that Jesus has with the rich. You know, I don't think it's any coincidence that shortly after Jesus has this encounter with the rich young ruler and proceeds to walk, move on into his journeys where he ends up entering the town of Jericho. And in this little town of Jericho, there's this man by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, unlike this young rich ruler, Zacchaeus was still wealthy. He was a, taf, uh, a chief tax collector. But the, the scripture tells us that physically he was short in height. Now, you don't see this often described in the Bible where someone is physically described. But Zacchaeus was short in height. And imagine he did whatever it took to compensate his short stature. He cheated. He manipulated maybe even abused, so that he could be compensated for that success, that satisfaction and security. And he builds this status amongst himself. He builds this wealth amongst himself, and he builds this place of security. And so Zacchaeus, who this man suddenly hears about Jesus and says, I want to know who this guy is. And so what does he do? He does what we might all actually be doing right now. He climbs this tree. Now in America, sorry, I couldn't bring a tree in, in the room, so I couldn't use that as an illustration, but just imagine a big tree. And, and Zacchaeus climbs up this tree, but for many of us, what we climb is not might actually be a tree, but what we call in America, we're climbing the corporate ladder. We do this in school. We do this with our children. We do this with ourselves. And we do what we do like Zacchaeus. We climb, we climb, we climb, and we climb. And as Zacchaeus is climbing this tree, he gets to this tree and he sees a glimpse of Jesus. And Jesus is walking by and he looks up and says, hey, Zacchaeus, I want you to come down from that tree. I'm going to come to your house today. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what happens exactly inside that house. All we know is one thing. Jesus went in and Zacchaeus came out. And when Zacchaeus comes out, he sells everything. And in fact, not only just everything, he 
gives back four times to anybody whom he has cheated. And what we see is this metanoia, this transformation that happens when Jesus, when Jesus is invited into your home, into your life. But I think the true transformation didn't just begin there. See, when Zacchaeus was climbing that tree, he was climbing, climbing, climbing without realizing that what he was climbing to was a place where he would one day hang from. That would be the place where he would die. And for many of us, without realizing, we are climbing, climbing, climbing in this Western culture, hungry for this success, hungry for this satisfaction, hungry for this security in hopes that maybe there is something more for me. And it goes back to my initial question, why? Why are you climbing? What is this going to bring you? See, Jesus sees Zacchaeus climbing this tree, realizing that one day Zacchaeus would hang from this tree. And so Jesus says, climb down from that tree, for, this is not, for that is not your place to be. Because Jesus knew, Zacchaeus, it is not your place to hang there. It is mine. See, that tree that Zacchaeus was climbing, Jesus knew that it would be the end of that road would be his death. And Jesus said, no. And for many of us, we're, without realizing Jesus is calling out to you today, saying, come down from that tree. Because I don't want to see you die. I don't want to see you suffocating. I don't want you to be drowning in your depression and anxiety because you're so obsessed with whatever it is that you want so desperately in this world. And Jesus is inviting you, come down from that tree. Because I am going to hang, that, hang on that tree for you. And we see that tree in the form of the cross. Jesus sees Zacchaeus come out of this home see what he does and says today salvation is here for this man too is a son of Abraham brothers and sisters my friends I want to invite you to come down from that tree So that the good works that you do in this world does not come out of the abundance of what you have. Whether it's your wealth, whether it's your talents and gifts. But for your good works to come out of the abundance of God. Why do you do what you do? Jesus. Why do I do what I do? Jesus. And my hopes and prayer today is to be able to invite you all to give your life to Jesus today. And so I'm going to invite the praise team to come up. And as they come up, 
we're going to step into a time of communion. But I, I, I don't want this just to be a normal communion, but a communion and a confession. And so if there's anybody here today who has been coming into this place searching for an answer, my hope and prayer that today you found your answer. And that answer's name is Jesus. If there's a brother and sister here today who may have strayed and just fallen away in their walk with Jesus, I want to also invite you up today as we take communion to rededicate your life to Jesus. And so I want to just open up this space for whoever it is that if the Holy Spirit is giving you conviction and is just placing on your heart to come up, I want to invite you up. before Jesus went up onto that cross he breaks bread with his family and friends for I have received from the Lord what I pass on to you that on the night that he was betrayed he took this bread he gave thanks he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this and do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. as we step into a time of worship if there's any if you feel that the Holy Spirit is just leading you to receiving the name of Jesus today in your life I want to invite you to come forward and to say yes to him let Jesus become your why and whatever it is that might be leading you to say but God I ask Holy Spirit, would you just release that today? For Jesus is calling you down from that tree. He's already done and he's already won. All you have to do is come. It was great having you with us today. 
We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.